Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Breathing with ease, we take it for granted, but for those suffering from chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, or COPD, even the simple things can make them feel short of breath. How do you know if you're at risk for getting this? What are the symptoms? What can you do about it? Valerie Chang from the COPD Coalition is in the studio, along with Jackie Scottka, registered and licensed respiratory therapist and director of respiratory care at Polymomy Medical Center, and we would like to hear from you. We're talking about lung disease. COPD is the third largest cause of death and disability in the United States. If you have COPD or you know someone who does, we'd like to hear your story. You can join us at 941-3689 on Oahu, toll-free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. First in medical news, we have the last of our Straub Foundation summer students. These are college students who have given up some of their summer break before their junior or senior year and have decided to do research right here in the islands. Today we have Rory Bay. She comes from the University of Rochester in New York, and she is studying microbiology. And she was working with Dr. Dawn Minai on an advanced care planning project that helps people to make sure that they know what they want done if they should ever have a medical emergency, and that all of us around them follow their instructions. Rory, welcome to The Body Show. Thank you. Dr. Dawn, welcome to The Body Show. Hello. Rory, tell us about your project. What is it you were studying this summer, and what did you learn? So as you mentioned, advanced care planning is helping patients and their families to all get on that same page and knowing what the patient wants when there are those medical emergencies. And that conversation can be very difficult sometimes. So my research was um, looking at how these advanced care planning videos Um, can help patients and families to understand their choices. So this is a video that's already been been produced, Mm -hmm. and it's sort of showing people some of the things that they may not know about and helping to educate them about making choices that they feel most comfortable with. Yes. Okay. So what did you find? So we found that the patients and families who watched the videos really felt the videos helped them to better grasp what is CPR, what is two feeding like, because it's hard to verbally really communicate what it's like to have those medical treatments. And they felt, you know, it helped them to communicate what they want better. Well, sure. I mean, I think sometimes you're in the office and you say to someone, do you want to have CPR? And someone says, well, what's CPR? And, you know, you just try and quick describe it for them, and then they don't really picture it. They don't understand what it means. So you're right. It sounds like really watching Mm -hmm. that video helped. So you had people who watched this demonstration, and then they were able to make choices they felt most comfortable with. What sort of things did you find out? Did the videos make a difference? Did it help them to make a more educated choice? Uh Uh-huh. So um, we asked them to evaluate how watching the video was experience-wise. You know, was it helpful? Would they recommend the videos to other people? So that was sort of a more, like, subjective quality component of the research. But we also uh, looked at how this video improved their knowledge about CPR because that's a topic that the video covers a lot. And we saw that there was a lot of improvement in their understanding about especially the risks involved and the complications in CPR. 
Absolutely. Now, Dr. Dawn, you've been working with the Advanced Care Planning Clinic. You've been doing that since 2012 at Straub Clinic, but you've been doing advanced care planning for over a decade. What did you find in the study that Rory was working with you to do? Did you find that people most often, once they heard about what these procedures were, chose to do that if they were ever in a medical emergency? Or did you find that often when they understood what the procedures were about, they chose comfort instead of of doing some of these things? I think that over the years that our lifespans have increased such because modern medicine and technology has increased our lives, but also without realizing people are living longer, especially the, those that are elderly and have progressive disease, they are living longer with disability. And I think that the, the community and also in the United States, people think that they come to the doctor, to the hospital, and that our interventions are going to help them. Um, so advanced care planning is about preparing patients and their families about future scenarios, um, about decisions that they may not be able to make at the time that they're not able to. So the population that we worked with were were geriatric patients and and those that were frail that had incurable progressive disease. I think that, you know, um, these dis- discussions are very sensitive and people are not used to, to talking to them, to actually see them um, or li- even listen. But what we found in the studies and about the clinic is that people do want to talk about it. People um, need to talk about it, but they just don't have someone to facilitate it. And that for those that had a difficult time, that these videos actually help to help them to define what these interventions are and whether they wanted wanted them or not. They were also able to, we also welcomed spouses and children and family members or loved ones, and I think all of them felt the same way, that it was very helpful, that they felt comfortable, and they recommended others to, to visualize these videos. So if you had an opportunity to really see what we're talking about when we say, quote, life-saving measures, whether it be CPR or being put on a ventilator or having feeding tubes or doing those sorts of things, it really helped for the family and their loved ones to visualize what you're talking about and to feel comfortable with that individual's decision. Right. All right. Rory, what other studies do you know of? You worked on part of this. What do we need to do next? Do you have any idea as to where we should look next? Should we be doing more education in the clinics? Should we be having people watch these videos, have them available online? What do you think would be a good step? I mean, you're in the technology generation. So <laughs> as you get older, how can we reach people who want to get this information without having to wait until they are already older or disabled or something like that? Right. So as you mentioned, that awareness, that public awareness is a big issue. And the online media, having it available on the web widely is, I think, a big step, especially for, you know, if um, the younger generation have older parents that they're concerned about just being able to Google, you know, advanced care planning and having, um, you know, very well made videos available to them. That's huge. And I know there are steps being taken to make these advanced care planning videos available to the state of Hawaii at this point. So I think that's actually on the road. Fantastic. So, Dr. Minai, your job is going to get easier. People can Google and watch a video on the web, come in to see you, and then have a greater idea and an understanding of what it is that they want so we can ask them that question before it becomes an emergency. 
Right. I, I also think that what was important in, in our quality study was that we were actually successful in being able to implement it in different situations. For example, we not only did it in the advanced care planning clinic, which is an outpatient setting, um, it was also implemented at the polymomy intensive care unit, um, also at Wilcox, I believe in the oncology area, as well as a few nursing homes. Fantastic. So you really were able to bring the videos to where the people were who needed to see them. Right. And not only is that, but we have it also in different languages. And and I think that they're working on more topics like hemodialysis, um, who are good people to make healthcare decisions for you, like surrogate decision makers, and as well as in other languages. Wonderful. Well, I look forward to hearing more about it. Now, if someone out there wanted to participate with the Advanced Care Planning Clinic, how could they go ahead and schedule an appointment? This is a clinic meant for people and their families, discuss a comprehensive overview of what their wishes are. Might be easier to have a third party kind of mediate this discussion. How do they find you? They can call the Straub Hospital and Clinic and ask for the Advanced Care Planning Clinic for Geriatrics and Palliative Medicine, and they can call 522-4000. That's an easy number to remember. All right. Well, I want to thank you, Rory. Best of luck in your future career. I do hope to hear that you're a doctor who comes back to the <laughs> islands. Dr. Dawn, thank you for helping people with this very difficult decision. So I want to thank you both for being on the show today. Thank you thank for you. having us. Breathing with ease. It's something we so take for granted. But if you can't, all of a sudden you realize how hard it is. Imagine breathing through a straw all the time. Chronic obstructive pulmonary disease can feel just like that. Valerie Chang is in the studio, head of the Hawaii COPD Coalition, along with Jackie Skotka, and she is a registered and licensed respiratory therapist with over almost three decades of experience helping people with this lung problem. If you have COPD, we'd like to hear from you. You can join us at 941-3689 on Oahu, toll free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Valerie, Jackie, welcome to The Body Show. Thank you for having us. Thank you both for being here. Now, COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, this is a serious lung condition. And this is really one of the, you know, statistics say third largest cause of death and disability in the United States. But I think there's also a lot of stigma associated with it. So let's first talk about what it is. Jackie, can you tell us how would you define COPD. What what would you, if somebody came to you and you are their respiratory therapist and they said, hey, what's really going on in my lungs? What would you tell them? Well, it's a condition where, um, as, as Dr. Kozak said, it's called chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, but it's a condition where the obstruction is the airways, your breathing passages are starting to either collapse or narrow. So it makes it harder for you to breathe in as well as exhale. So you feel symptoms where you're just, you can't breathe well. You can't suck in air very well. You can't empty air very well. Who gets this? Valerie, who's at risk for COPD? Well, mostly it is people that have a history of tobacco smoke exposure. Either they were smokers or they were exposed to secondhand smoke. And also in the developing world, there's a lot of people that um, are exposed to biomass fields like um, women and children and they're cooking fires indoors. 
So you're exposed to something that's going to affect your lungs, whether it be tobacco smoke, some other type of smoke, and this causes trouble. How much smoke are we talking about? I mean, if someone's a smoker, are they at risk for getting COPD if they smoke, you know, two cigarettes a day for a couple of years? Or are we talking really heavy smokers? Or does it just not matter? It's really hard to say. Some people can smoke and never get COPD, but... Um, the more you smoke, the more at risk you are, the more at risk you are for other diseases affecting your other organs. So don't smoke. Don't smoke. And if you smoke, please quit. Correct. There's good reasons to quit. Now, Valerie, tell me, you actually were diagnosed with COPD in the year 2000. Correct. How did you get it? Um, they still don't know. You're um, my they, mystery They then. consider okay. me a medical mystery. Um they did test me for the genetic form of COPD, which is alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency, which is tested through a blood test in addition to the breathing test. So I did the breathing test and the blood test, and it is offered for free, um, and it is covered by most insurance as well. Well, let's talk about that because, you know, there's that genetic component, alpha-1 antitrypsin, and you mentioned that the breathing test and the blood test is covered by insurance. Was that because you were having symptoms? You were feeling short of breath? Is that why they said, okay, do these tests? Yeah, I was actually waking up every night um, breathless, and they thought that was very unusual. And they, I just thought maybe my asthma that I've had since I was a young child was just poorly controlled. So I thought I'd just go and they'd give me an inhaler and I'd be fine. But they said, no, we might as well do a lung test. And so they did the lung test and they said, oh, we might as well have you do a blood test too. No, you don't have any of that. So yeah, you do have bad lungs, but um, we don't know why. So you're a bit of a mystery. I'm a bit of a mystery, but actually my condition is very similar to other people that have, they said it's like I smoked for a pack a day for 60 years, basically. That's got to make you feel good. You go in, (laughs) you see the doctor, you say, I feel a little troubles, I wake up at night, and now they tell you you have like 60-pack your lungs. I mean, that just sounds like it's just, you know, that would be nightmare time. You're waking up in the middle of the night, not breathless now, but just scared. Okay, but this was in the year 2000, so you've done some things to help yourself. Is this what inspired you to develop the Hawaii COPD Coalition? Actually, it is. Um, I kept waiting for someone to come and lead our state in, you know, trying to develop some support for people that have uh, COPD. And, and nobody unfortunately, came. people yeah. kept dying that I wanted to have help lead us. And so I decided to start doing this. And so we actually are doing the things I wish were in place in 2000. One of them is having support groups. And we have three support groups on the island. And also American Lung has one as well. And so that's where people can get some support of other patients and other caregivers, as well as uh, we bring in healthcare professionals to cover various topics that are of interest to the people in the group. I I'll, I got to tell you, I think support groups are awesome. I think we don't have enough support from people who have the particular condition because, you know, there are things that you can learn from someone that has dealt with this that you will not learn from your doctor, that you will not learn from someone else. I may not know. And yet you can learn a trick from somebody else how you were able to negotiate something. Tell me, Jackie, the support groups, have you been to those? Yes, we have one, uh, uh, Polymomy. Um, it is, it's relatively new. Um, we're, our our participants are growing. and uh, When do you meet? Where, where do you meet and when? 
We meet the second Thursday of second every, Wednesday. Oops, oh, Thursday, you're right. Thursday, Thursday sorry. second <laughs> Thursday of every month, and it's from ten to eleven, and it's in a conference room at Polymomi Medical Center. It's called the Eva Conference Room, and there's signs up all over the first floor of the hospital directing you. So what sort of things, have you had any participants from the support group say, this in particular is what I loved, personal testimony or so-and-so told me the trick for their inhaler or I learned something great about, what sort of things do they learn the most? What have you heard feedback about that really impressed you that people were able to discover from one another? Well, um, hmm. they they just like to discuss how they do different things. Um, there was uh, one patient that stated he was having a lot of trouble sleeping, and he couldn't sleep, or he'd wake up, and he didn't want to wear his oxygen. And after some discussion among the the members, he went and had a sleep study. He is now wearing his oxygen, and he is now sleeping better. And he's so, golfing now, too. Yes, he's So golfing. he heard that, you know, you want to just try without... And everyone in the group kind of said, don't do it. <laughs> and now he's able to physically exercise because he listened. You know, it's kind of funny because sometimes doctors will tell somebody do this. And we just kind of naively assume they do. And yet when we talk with someone, they kind of admit, yeah, maybe I don't do it as often as I should. If it's a blood test and you give someone a medicine, you can easily find out if they're taking that medicine or not. Check the blood test. But with something like oxygen, you wouldn't really know if somebody wasn't really responding or doing their therapy unless they came in and got worse. What are some of the signs that you see, Jackie, when you when you provide respiratory therapy for individuals? What do you see that says, hey, I know this person is getting better? Is it a easier time talking full sentences? Is it better exercise capacity? How do you know somebody's getting better? Well, they will tell you. They're the best ones to let they you They just know. feel it, and they go, they I feel, feel great. Yes. When you give them a treatment, um, they 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 feel better. They can tell you, like you said, you can talk in better sentences. You're able to get up and get out of bed. Um, even walking to the bathroom can be hard if you're, you know, a few steps if you're not if you're not feeling well or in, having problems. And then we also notice you start planning trips and they start doing things with their loved ones again instead of, oh, please, can somebody help me? And they start doing more for themselves, and that's exciting too. That's a great point. Being more independent, like your friend who golfs, people who are able to do more activities for themselves. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Jackie Skotka. She is a respiratory therapist and director of respiratory care at Polymomi Medical Center, and Valerie Chang, who is the head of the Hawaii COPD Coalition and a survivor of COPD herself. We are talking to people, anybody out there, but if you've had this particular problem, if you think you might, you can join our conversation at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands 877-941-3689. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. As Syria continues to fight a civil war, those who want to escape look to their neighbor, Turkey. And for some Turks... Until they feel that Syria becomes secure and stable, they can stay here. I'm Lizzie O'Leary, Syria and Turkey Beyond the Border, next time on Marketplace from APM. This evening at 6, right after The Body Show. Ninety-nine percent of men are in love with the top one percent of women. 
and yet they often refuse to date us. It's a complete injustice. This week on Selected Shorts, advice for the lovelorn from Simon Rich and Patricia Marks. From PRI, Public Radio International. Tuesday at 5 p.m., following Travel with Rick Steves. Aloha. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathy Kozak here in the studio with Jackie Skotka. She is a respiratory expert at Polymomi Medical Center and Valerie Chang, who is here from the Hawaii COPD Coalition. And we're talking about breathing. Can you? Do you ever wonder if you have a problem like COPD? You might hear some other names that are associated with this, like chronic bronchitis, emphysema, Do you wonder if you should be tested and who really out there needs to be tested and find out if they're at risk? If you want to find out, you can join our conversation at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Valerie, you started this whole Hawaii COPD coalition. Support groups are clearly an important part of that. What sort of feedback have you gotten from the groups that make you realize this is something that you want to continue? Well, every once in a while, you know, you get discouraged and you wonder if you're making any difference at all. And then a few of the patients speak up, like on this last Friday's meeting. They said, you know, Valerie, this is so exciting because, you know, we're we're networking amongst ourselves and we're getting feedback and we're hearing that people are doing things that we were thinking we'd have to give up, like golfing. Several of the men really want to keep their golfing and they're inspired that some of the other men have started taking up golfing again and have learned how to manage their care better so that they're able to resume their activities that they love. So you learn from one another. Yes, it's very exciting. And I know when you tell your personal story, that's also inspiring to people because here you are, someone who has this particular illness that, you know, you said you're the mystery diagnosis. No one really can tell you why you have it. But when you share your story, do people do, does that help other individuals? I mean, here you are leading the Hawaii COPD coalition. And yet, here you are also dealing with this particular illness. Do people come up to you and just, I mean, they must be so grateful that you're involved in this. They're actually kind of shocked because I I do fly a lot. I've just become a silver premier for United, so I can keep flying. And and they're like, oh, I thought we had to give that up. And so we know that they're doing better when they start planning trips with their family and their doctors and their loved ones, and that really excites us. And I think that's that's what we're trying to do, is trying to help people live the best quality, quality life they can. And that's why we're having our COPD Education Day. We are going to talk more about that in just a minute. We've got a Dr. Joshi from Maui on the line. Dr. Joshi, welcome to The Body Show. Aloha, how are you? Aloha, doing great. How's life on Maui? Wonderful. You know, I have a question. Lately, there have been a tremendous amount of uh, non-sterile medications that have been coming out of compounding pharmacies, and I know that oxygen is, uh, I'm sorry, there's an echo in my cell phone, Um, but I know that uh, when one fills oxygen, you have to make sure there's no oil in it, have to make sure there's actually oxygen. Um, How do we know that what I'm getting is actually oxygen? Do you mean... it seems to me that people just want to make a profit and they will do whatever it does, whatever it takes to uh, sell me something without it being necessarily what it is. So do you mean oxygen in a canister? Well, yes, because it has to be put in a canister, and you have to make sure that when it's being put in, there's no oils that are being injected along with the air. 
Uh, you have to make sure that it's actually oxygen and not nitrogen, not carbon dioxide, not carbon monoxide. So how do how does an individual know whether what they're getting is actually oxygen and not contaminated material? Well, it's a great point. So you're talking about having oxygen that you get from a canister, and you're worried if what's in there is actually oxygen or is there some other contaminant in that canister that you're getting. Is that right? With all the problems we've been having lately with meds. Well, and, you know, we do always worry about medications. And, you know, there were some issues with compounding pharmacies on the mainland, other other types of treatments, steroid shots, etc. But I think as far as it goes with oxygen and canisters, Jackie, most providers have oxygen that is certified. You have to meet a certain quality grade, and you can't sell it as oxygen unless it meets certain criteria. Is that right? That That's correct. A medical gas, which would be you'd only use medical oxygen to breathe, has to be 99.99% pure in order to be sold. And it is tested. Hospitals get get all they get a analysis with each gas gas shipment excuse me and the home care companies should be getting that as well if you're using a concentrator home care companies come in and they measure the percentage of oxygen coming out of that device so there's some ways to document yes. it and if somebody had a problem and they were using oxygen if their oxygen levels if their oxygen saturation went up we know there's got to be some oxygen that's doing that mm-hmm. Okay, so you can measure it from the canister. You can have quality controls that are done either from your medical supply company or from the hospital, and you can measure a pulse oximeter that will help you to know if you're getting oxygen. It's a great question. I mean, people worry. You know, you get this canister, and I've seen some of them, and they're not really pretty. They kind of look like this beat-up green canister, and you wonder is what's in there, what's supposed to be in there. But it sounds like if you have gotten it from a location you can get a quality report. You can get a quality report. All you have to do is ask. Fantastic. All right, Val. Thoughts about people who are concerned about getting oxygen. Tell me about, there's a little device you got there. It's a pulse oximeter. It's really cute. You can fit it around your neck. You put it on your finger. It tells you what the oxygen level is in your blood. Do you use that? Um, Actually, we recommend that anyone that exercises and has severe COPD have a pulse oximeter, especially if they use oxygen, just so that they're always aware of how their level might change when they exert themselves. Because sometimes we might be fine just sitting or fine walking slowly, but when we crank up our exertion level, it might take a little bit more oxygen and our bodies might or might not be able to uh, supply it without any supplement. So when you use that, this is a cute little device that's, you know, as small as a cell phone, if not smaller these days, although cell phones are getting kind of tiny. But this almost is like a pager, and you just put it on your finger. Where do you get such a device? I mean, I've seen these in some of those catalogs with some unusual items that they sell. You know, I mean, do should anybody who has a breathing issue have one of these on their own? Well, they should double-check with their doctors. But most doctors are happy if their patients can use it properly and, okay. and, and can use it as a way to cue their doctor, like, you know, I've noticed my oxygen levels are dropping. Should I come in and see you? I mean, is, is, is there something we should talk about? And then also, um, they do sell them at almost all the drugstores now, and then you can also buy them online. And if you get a doctor's prescription, then you can talk to your CPA about whether you can have it as a tax deduction, as a medical expense. And average cost? Um, they range anywhere from like 30 or $50 to about 200 for the 250 for the top of the line for, for patient use. 
So pretty much you can get one of these and it can help you to self-monitor. One of the things that I like you mentioned is that you said that way someone's in control themselves. And I think in a lot of cases when people have a chronic illness, they sort of don't feel like they have that control. What can they do to monitor themselves? How can they take charge of how they're feeling? How can they know when they need to either wear their oxygen or alert their doctor that they need oxygen? So I think you're right. This is really going to put power of, of treatment into the hands of the individual. Right. But as Jackie is going to tell us, more is not always better with oxygen. Right, Jackie? That is true. If you have a pulse oximeter, it's important to talk to your doctor about it, that your oxygen, he will order or she will order a certain level that you should use. And just because a little, a little is good, a lot is not necessarily better. Well, there's this interesting thing that happens in the brain. And if you give yourself too much oxygen and you have COPD, you might decrease your brain's respiratory drive. So all of us take deep breaths when we feel like we need to. And if you have a problem like COPD, your brain has adapted to when you need to take these breaths. If you wear oxygen and you're always a perfect level, you're not going to exchange as much air. You're not going to breathe as deeply. You might not even breathe as much. Is that one of the concerns? Yes. If you happen to be oxygen sensitive, you could. if you turn up your oxygen, it could literally put you to sleep. And you might even stop breathing. And then it doesn't matter if you have a pulse ox or not, because <laughs> it's going to read that you're 100%, but it's just because of the mask or the nasal cannula or something that you're wearing. Mm -hmm. What are some of the treatments that a respiratory therapist can do for someone who has COPD? What are some of the things that, that you teach people to do to better take control of their illness and find ways to live successfully with it? Well, probably the most important thing that we try to work with our patients is um, so they understand their medications, so they know which medication is what they call a rescue med that you take when you're having trouble breathing and you get a fast response versus your maintenance med, which you have to take every day. And it doesn't matter if you feel good with a maintenance medication. You have to take it daily. You have to keep your your level in your lungs at a certain amount or it will not work. So we do a lot of medication uh, training. We also work on different devices because there's different ways of inhaling medications. There's nebulizers. There's different, um, people call them puffers or dry powder inhalers. So we, we work on making sure you know how to take your medication accurately and you get the most medication that you can get. Now, how often do you see people who think they know how to use their inhaler but aren't maximizing the benefit? Is that a common problem? Yes. Yes. I remember when I first started here, I had a wonderful individual who was coming to see me, and I said, show me how you use your inhaler. And they puffed it a few times in the air and then walked into that airspace and took some breaths and said, but it's not working. And I went, ooh. So this was one of those opportunities where you really don't realize that people may not understand the instructions. So when you are ever prescribed an inhaler, is it a good idea to learn how to use it correctly the first time? Oh, definitely. And if you change from a puff to a powder to an aerosolized chamber, make sure you go through a review. Yes. I'm a big fan and of that. I, I just, A you lot know. of doctor's offices will have samples that they can show you if it's a different device for you that they should be able to show you. Are we and good I enough or should they go to a respiratory therapist? 
I mean, I always send them to a respiratory therapist. I don't know if I'm good enough to do the demo. I mean, how do I know if I'm doing it right? I want to make sure a professional shows them to make sure that it's absolutely correct. Good idea? Well, thanks. It is. But uh, there's not a lot of outpatients for a person to come find a respiratory therapist to do it. That's true. Actually, one of the things we recommend is people underutilize their pharmacists, and they can actually ask the pharmacist if they can demonstrate to the pharmacist and have the pharmacist demonstrate back that they're using it correctly. Because even if you've been using a medicine for a while, sometimes you were using it right initially, and then you forget, or you start using it incorrectly, and you can be using it for a long time and not get any benefit because it's not being used optimally. That's a really good point. You demonstrate to the pharmacist first, and then you can go ahead and have the pharmacist demonstrate back. Because it's kind of like, and I don't mean to even suggest it, but it's kind of like doing a little exam. You know, let's see how good you are. And you might feel a little stressed about it, but the end goal is to teach you how to do it correctly so that you don't wind up spending years on a medicine not getting a benefit. All right, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Jackie Scottka. She is a respiratory expert at Polymomy Medical Center. And Valerie Chang, she is the head of the Hawaii COPD Coalition. If you'd like to join our conversation, you can at 941-3689 on Oahu, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Now, Jackie, let me ask, does everybody eventually get on oxygen? Or if you manage your COPD well, can you avoid having to be tethered to an oxygen canister? Well, with COPD, it's a progressive disease. If you manage it well, it will it will progress slower. Eventually, you, everybody will probably end up being on oxygen. It just depends on how well you're able to manage it and how fast that would occur. And so... When we talk about oxygen delivery, are we just talking about people who are wheeling around with a canister and they have these little cannula in their nose? Are there other ways that people can get oxygen, just wear it at night, or other mechanisms? Oh, of course. They're they're coming out with all kinds of new devices that are not so um, obvious. Um, they have some masks that are made specifically for women, Um So they have some new things that are coming out, and it doesn't mean that you have to think, oh, no, I'm going to be using what I've seen them use 50 years ago. There's some new method. Smaller canisters, smaller backpacks, nothing that is going to be a big thing you have to roll around anymore? There are some that are about uh, 5 or 10 pounds, and the one I fly with is about 10 pounds. It's like the old VHS uh, recorders. So it's not that onerous, and if you take out a battery, it's only 8 pounds, and so... I use that to fly pretty much everywhere. I fly to the East Coast. I fly to the West Coast, and it's okay. And I've I've seen people with four- and six-pound oxygen concentrators as well. And there is a thing called liquid oxygen um, that is available in some instances, and I've used that in Denver and other locations because I do need oxygen for altitude, but I don't need it at sea level right now. Well, I would wonder, you know, if, if if you already have COPD and you've got to wheel around something that weighs like 20 pounds, you already have a lung problem. How can you carry that? So they've made them smaller. They've made them more realistic, 8 pounds, 10 pounds, maybe 4 or 5. We've made it easier. Right. And they also are have wheeled carts so that it's not 
that onerous. I so mean, you don't really have to carry it. You can yeah, wheel it around. Because c- carrying it actually puts more of a load and that makes you use more oxygen. That's what I would quickly. think. Yeah. Sure, absolutely. It's like now I'm exercising where I'm getting my oxygen when all I want to do is walk down the road. Okay. Plus more and more people are using it. So every everywhere you see it, people are, are making arrangements for it. It's not unusual to be yeah. on a plane and see people on oxygen, being in restaurants. It's just more common. And more of the businesses are setting up special things to... To allow it to happen. And the oxygen supply companies can make arrangements from Hawaii mm-hmm. so that when you land, the oxygen will be there and the oxygen will be wherever you're staying. So when I go to Denver, I call ahead and they set it all up. So as soon as I get off the plane, they're there if I want them. So that's another really important point. If you have COPD and you're using oxygen and you're traveling somewhere, you can find the respiratory company that you work with here help you match with someone over there so that you don't have to go for hours, if not days, without your oxygen. Oh, definitely you wouldn't do that. You don't want to do that. you're going to end up in the ER. We don't want that. (laughs) Okay, so there is a way to do that. What are some of the other – tell me about COPD Day. What are some of the things that you're going to do on that day? Oh, we're very excited. We have a speaker – Beth Ann Koslovich of Hawaii Public Radio. She's I heard she's going to be the MC. Yeah, well, for then the I seventh know, year in a row we're doing then this. Yeah. I know it's going to be a great program because yes, she's and, fantastic. And we have Julie Chang. She's a pulmonologist and hospitalist at uh, Polymomi, and she's going to talk about what's new with COPD. Lucille Chun is going to talk about look, tongue, quan, and tai chi, and she's going to show everyone how they can exercise no matter how uh, fit or unfit they are. Because that's a real problem, isn't it, Jackie, deconditioning? Mm -hmm. And then um, Mary Kim, she's a psychologist and caregiver. She's going to talk about caregiving for COPD patients. Uh, Charlene Bell is a clinical psychologist, and she's going to talk about taking charge and about some of the stigma issues and how to overcome them and how to, you know, have feel positive and take charge. And then I'm going to talk about... um, Self-advocacy and being heard, both on a personal level with your healthcare team and also on a national and uh, local level with our legislators so that they will make sure that whatever they enact is friendly for us. And that's going to be at Queen's Conference Center 9 to 2 on Saturday, September 7th um, at the old Mabel Smythe Building. And they can register online at hawaiicopd.org. Or um, and the brochures there, and also many of the doctors are going to get their brochures in their office. We're delivering about 200 packets to all the all the doctors, including the doctors at Straub. Fantastic! Now, if they have a phone number, I mean, if they can't do online, is there a phone number? Yeah, they can call Hawaii COPD Coalition at eight zero eight. 699-9839. That's 808-699-9839. And for those of our neighbor island guests, we're very sorry that we don't have the funding currently to bring these to all the neighbor islands. So we will be putting it on our website afterwards so that people can view it. And they will all, we'll also be adding to our website videos of prior um, education days because we've had them since 2007. Fantastic. So you're going to have ways that people can interact in person or can watch it later, regardless of where they are, neighbor islands or even beyond, they'll have a way to see what's going on. Correct. And we're also updating our website to have more um, printed articles as well about how people can um, take care of themselves and um, do what's called pulmonary rehabilitation, which is a complete program to help 
improve their lung function and live more actively. And so we're going to have a lot of those kinds of information on our website, on the resources page. Fantastic. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Valerie Chang. We are hearing about an upcoming wonderful event that the Hawaii COPD Coalition is putting on, in addition to Jackie Skotka, and she's helping us out with common questions and things that respiratory therapists may know. You can give us a holler if you'd like to join us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands 877-941-3689. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Pico Iyer has been noticing a trend in travel lately, places that promise to be a quiet refuge away from our everyday routine. I think more and more people travel now just to get away from their cell phone. And Will Hyde recommends Cape Town as one of the most enjoyable places you've never considered for a vacation. Look, you know, there's the South Africa you see on the news and there's the South Africa you see when you get there. Rediscover your world on Travel with Rick Steves. Tuesday at 4 p.m. following Fresh Air. Feel the blues with Dion Boogie Scott as he pays tribute to his guitar hero, Eric Clapton. In the Atherton studio on Saturday, August 17th, Boogie, Hawaii's own blues guitarist and singer-songwriter, will perform his personal favorites in an evening with Clapton. That's August 17th at 7.30 p.m. You can make your reservations at hawaiipublicradio.org or at 955-8821 during business hours. Aloha. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Jackie Skotka. She is a respiratory expert and therapist at Polymomi Medical Center and Valerie Chang, head of the Hawaii COPD Coalition. Before the break, we were talking about an upcoming seminar on September 7th. If you didn't catch that number, you can give them a holler at 808-699-9839 or go to the Hawaii COPD Coalition website. But we're going to talk some more with some folks about what is it mean to have emphysema? If you want to join our conversation, you can at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands 877-941-3689. Now is your chance to ask an expert. Valerie, we were talking before the break about this upcoming seminar about how many folks generally go and do you still have space to have some more people come? Yeah, we usually have around two or 300 people, mostly patients and caregivers, but we also have healthcare professionals and um most of the respiratory care, respiratory therapy students from Kapiolani Community College come to help as well. Fantastic. Well, we've got a caller on the line. We've got Wendy from downtown. Wendy, welcome to The Body Show. Oh, hi. What can we do for you? Oh, I just wanted to comment about that education day. I've been to it a couple of times with an uncle, and it is an excellent, excellent program. And I have to thank these ladies for presenting it and um, want to commend them for it. Fantastic, Wendy. Thank you. What a wonderful thing to hear that you've been to it before. You learned a lot. If somebody was kind of thinking, maybe I'll go, maybe I'm not, what do you think you learned that would help them to make that commitment to decide, yes, I'm going to go, if not for me, for an uncle, for an aunt, for somebody else? What well, made I you have do to it? say that everyone you talk to there is just so excited. It's a very positive, uplifting program. You go away feeling encouraged and educated. And um, people are just, there's nothing like it. There's no other um, resource like this in our community. And it's just wonderful that they're doing this for us. Fantastic, Wendy. Thank you so much for sharing your experience with us today and making sure that both Jackie and Valerie know 
this is something you received so much of a benefit from. So good luck to you and to okay. your uncle. Well, thank you, ladies. <laughs> All right. You have a fan club there, Jackie yeah. and Val. You've got Wendy from downtown who's really excited to know you're going to keep up with the program. We've got John calling from Kaneohe. John, welcome to The Body Show. Hi. I was wondering, uh, and I have to apologize for my ignorance, my grandfather was diagnosed with emphysema and my father, uh, but my sister has COPD. Is there a difference between the two or are they one and the same? Great question. Love it. Jackie, what do you think? It's basically the same thing. We're talking potato, potato. Yep. Yeah. All right. I was getting confused. Thank you. Actually, I was going to say COPD is sort of a generic name, and emphysema is a specific disease. That's like the umbrella. COPD is the umbrella, and what under it is emphysema, chronic bronchitis, and some doctors put chronic asthma as well. Okay. All right, John. Well, I hope that helped clear it up for you. Good luck to your to your grandfather, to your father, and also to your sister. But I can see why those names could confuse some folks because, you know, I, th- I think about it like, okay, so money, that's COPD. There's dollars and coins. There's ones, fives, twenties. And if you're lucky, more than that. And, you know, nickels, dimes, quarters, et cetera. So COPD is like the word money. Emphysema is like the dollar. And then you got chronic bronchitis. Maybe that's like a quarter or something. So, you know, those are some of those categories. Do we treat them the same? Yes. So the medications are usually the same. Yes. And if you have the emphysema or the chronic bronchitis element of it, you still need to go through the same process, learn how to use your inhalers, avoid smoking if you do, monitor your oxygen levels. Valerie? There are a few medications that are being developed that are specific to chronic bronchitis that are coming out. And so there, and there, there might be some 50, new treatments. Okay. Yeah, there are about 50 in the pipeline. So as they get approved, there might start to be more differentiation. Un- until recently, we were all taking all asthma drugs, but now there are some COPD drugs, and soon there will be some chronic bronchitis drugs, and hopefully someday some emphysema drugs, but we'll see. Well, it sounds like we're getting hopefully more advanced with our treatment and learning more about the disease process. Now, if someone out there says, I don't think I have this, I'm a smoker, I want to quit, what sort of resources are out there to help them? Good question. And actually, the quit line just got a f- got funding recently to offer free patches and gum to anyone that wants them. All they have to do is call 1-800-QUIT-NOW and say they want to quit within 30 days, and they'll be able to talk to a counselor, and they can say they want to speak to a Hawaii person, and they can do that, and they will be allowed to have free patches or gum. Fantastic. So 1-800-QUIT-NOW. Correct. All right. So then they have funding, patches and gum. If you want to quit, if you don't know if you have emphysema, but you're not sure and you don't want to get it, quitting can help to not let that happen. Correct. And actually, if they're curious, they can go on our website. On the right-hand side of the website, there is a COPD screener. And if they do know they have COPD, there's also a COPD assessment test. And they can take that periodically and see if they're COPD symptoms are getting better or worse or staying the same, and use that as a reference tool to talk to their physician so that they can say, look, I'm getting better, I'm getting worse, or should we talk about this? 
I'm telling you, Valerie, you are giving everybody what you wish you had yes. 13 years ago. And you're doing a great job of it. I'll tell you, Wendy thinks so. All right, we've got another caller on the line. We've got Shelly from Kihei. Shelly, welcome to The Body Show. Hi, thank you. Um, I was just wondering if, if COPD can be caused by a one-time environmental um, cause. Can a doctor really um, figure out what causes COPD and, and claim it to be, oh, it was from this particular episode in your life, one, a one-shot thing? Like what kind of one-shot deal were you thinking about? Um, just exposure to various environmental factors. Okay. Um, well, I think, you know, when that, we, you know, that sort of thing. I think when we talk about COPD, there's an element of, we talked earlier a little bit about genetics, then there's also an element of exposure. And for a lot of the exposures, it's not necessarily a one-time event, but it's repetitive exposures. Now, certainly there can be some other types of damage that can occur in your lungs if, for example, you're exposed to a lot of smoke from a fire, if you are in a burning building, if you've been been having your lung problems since you had that occur. But I don't necessarily know if that would lead to a diagnosis of COPD if it was a one-time exposure event. And, you know, the hard part, for for physicians are that, you know, the biggest issue is sometimes we want to have a direct cause. We want to know exactly when something happened. For certain conditions, appendicitis, you felt the pain, you felt it Monday night. So that's how we know that's when this process started. But when we talk about a chronic lung disease, we really can't go retrospectively and find the one time that this might have started. Val, you mentioned that you had chronic asthma when you were younger, and then you started to get breathless at night, then you went to get evaluated. That might be when you were diagnosed was the year 2000, but this process was probably going on before then. Yeah, because I was having some problems keeping up with my um, my kids when they were hiking. They would run up ahead and I couldn't keep up. And that's when we started to think, you know, maybe something's a little going off with me. So it was sort of a chronic progressive thing, not really a one-time event. Shelley, I don't think I've heard of COPD occurring after a one-time exposure. I certainly could be wrong on that, but that would be a really difficult thing to test. Um, you'd have to have pre-exposure lung testing, post-exposure lung testing, and you'd really have to have a lot of science to pinpoint one event. But it's a great question, you know, because there are some people out there who say, how about the summer I spent with grandpa who smoked like a chimney? Did that affect me? And yet the next, you know, 30 years of their life, they weren't exposed to that. It's a degree and an element of exposure, and once is probably not enough to give you a chronic illness. Yeah, even with the 9-11 first responders, and they're, they're, they're studying them, and they're not that they're having trouble trying to pinpoint, trying to pinpoint okay. whether or not and there that you know it. and yeah. there's an event and we all know <laughs> exactly know that what happened yeah. so even with that sort of exposure to all those toxins and fumes we can't make a pinpoint connection good point val i appreciate that all right we've got al on the line from kona al welcome to the body show oh hi what can we do for you i'd like to know what kind of damage gets done to the other uh, the other organs when the oxygen level's low Great question, Al, because, you know, a lot of people think, oh, my oxygen's okay. I don't feel that bad in my lungs. They don't realize what else is going on. Val, any thoughts? Other organs? You mean Jackie? Jackie. <laughs> um, well, uh, it's hard on your heart. Your heart will work harder. It's hard on your kidneys. That um, Kidneys it, will be affected. affected. Your brain. 
will be affected. It, it affects all major organs. Were you worried about something in particular, Al? No, I just wondering what you know what happens if it's low in oxygen. Well, I'll tell you this much: your body doesn't like it, and it starts to shut down. And depending on how low you go, there's a limit where you just can't live beyond that. And so there's a whole bunch of different things the body does in response to low oxygen levels. It increases your blood pressure. That affects blood flow to your heart and your brain, increases your risk of strokes, could damage the kidneys, and thus you have permanent kidney issues. So there's lots of good reasons why you want to keep your oxygen levels at a pretty tight range. We talked a little bit about this gadget called a pulse oximeter. It tells you where your oxygen levels should be. For somebody with no lung disease, you're talking 93 to 99%. For somebody who has lung disease, you're talking, you know, somewhere in the 80s, early 90s, and that's kind of might be where they live. And if they go below 88 or so, 89, that's when they start using oxygen. But we don't really think it's compatible with life to have a level in the 60s or 70s, at least not compatible with life very long. So I do hope that you get your oxygen, if you are on oxygen now, I hope that you get your levels up. But if you want to know what happens when you don't get oxygen, bad stuff, lots and lots of bad stuff. So I hope that doesn't happen to you. All right. So we were talking, ladies, about some different sorts of exposure levels of different things. We know that if you smoke and you want to quit, we've got the 1-800-QUIT-NOW tobacco quit line. Hawaii's tobacco quit line just got access to patches and gum. Wonderful for people who were worried about it. We've also started to see some changes in the legislature about not smoking in public areas, not smoking in bars, not smoking on the beach. Valerie... What do you think about that? We actually testified in favor of this because many of the people that have lung disease are especially sensitive to strong smells, including tobacco smoke, and it can trigger them, and they might have a really bad attack when they're just with their grandchild or out on the beach on their own. So we're very pleased that um, the Hawaii Honolulu City Council did pass legislation to ban smoking in public parks, beaches, and public housing, or actually the public housing... Is that uh, still coming? Made their own ban. And oh, really? They're, they're okay. going to be um, sending out their rules and regs very soon. Um, there's also some controversy about e-smoking devices, which include e-cigarettes. And um, the Department of Health's position is that every um, organization can set up their own policy consistent with the uh, smoking ban. So, like, consoli- the theaters have banned smoking in um, the uh, e-cigarettes. E-cigar- e- no, e-smoking devices. E-smoking it's a broader, device. Okay. broader it's term. It's not necessarily a cigarette. It's an it's e-smoking, e-smoking device. devices. Okay. And they're, they're banned anywhere that tobacco is prohibited, like airlines, consolidated theaters, the bus, and those kind of places, because those can also trigger people that are sensitive. And they really don't have any choice about breathing. And if, if it's in their space and it triggers them, then... They can have some bad consequences and have to go see Jackie. Well, and we don't actually have enough information about exactly how e-cigarettes work. I know even the FDA is looking to say, hey, is it safe? Because although it's vapor, although it's not necessarily as toxic as cigarettes themselves, is there some other thing that we need to be concerned about? 
Um, my thought on it is, sure, it's better than smoking a cigarette. Okay, I'll give you that. But I can't say it's 100% safe. I hope it is because it's a great way to stop smoking. If you also plan on stopping your e-cigarettes as well, you don't necessarily want to give one to the other and then just decide you're going to smoke e-cigarette, e-smoking devices forever. Um, but certainly it's something that we need to look at. Uh, Jackie, do you see people who are using these devices once they're diagnosed? Can they safely use something like an e Smoking device, if they're on oxygen, should they just avoid that entirely? They should just avoid it. At least that's what we are taking. Uh, it's an unknown inhalant. We do not know what kind of consequences you'll be experiencing in the future. Just like before when people were smoking cigarettes and everybody was pushing it, they didn't realize the consequences that they're having to live with now, and now it, it's known. At some point in time, I'm sure there will be studies done on those inhalants, but at this point in time, it's recommended not to not to use it. And there's, like you say, there's no regulation at all. So it's like any other supplement. There's there's no regulation, so no one knows exactly what's in it. And this, some of the studies have shown that there are carcinogens in them. And so you can have all the problems you have with any other carcinogen. But And, and nobody knows what the off-gas is either. Although they're told it's water vapor, it has a scent. And water vapor generally doesn't have a scent, so... So, you know, it's kind of interesting. Our first caller was somebody wondering what's in those oxygen canisters. I think we answered his question about certification for what's in the canister. You have to meet certain medical grade for a medical gas, and yet we don't have those same restrictions for e-smoking devices because there aren't any guidelines. So be very careful. Correct. Okay. COPD Day is coming up. Tell me again, Val, where, when, and how does somebody sign up? COPD Education Day, they can sign up online at hawaiicopd.org, or they can call our number 808-699-9839. That's 699-9839. Or they can send an email to hawaiicopd.hawaii at yahoo.com. Okay, so there's some ways that they can get in touch with you. Jackie, if somebody thinks that they can use their inhaler, but we're not so sure, what should they do? Well... They can uh, ask their local pharmacist, which Val talked about, where they got it from. They could, if they are on oxygen or have a home care company, a lot of home care companies have respiratory therapists that work for them. They will gladly tell you. Um, If you are going to your physician's office, you can ask your physician. If you, the next visit, you go to the hospital, that most ERs will train patients on how to use their inhaler if they're that sick. I'm not recommending going to the ER to learn how to use your inhaler. But if you're already there and you have a lung problem, good time to review. Yes. There's also a lot of videos on YouTube if you want to search through them, especially if it's a .gov website. They're pretty reliable. Well, sure. And that's another option. Pharmaceuticals that sell the product, which should have a, a website if you have internet access a website, a video, something that will help people to use their inhaler correctly. Well, I want to thank both of you today. I want to thank you, Valerie Chang. You were motivated by, unfortunately, your own personal story about getting COPD, and thanks for sharing your expertise with us today. Thank you. Jackie, you are a registered and licensed respiratory therapist, director of respiratory care and rehab departments at Polymomi Medical Center. Thank you for working with people to help them to breathe better. 
Thank you for having me. If you'd like to hear this show again, you can click on our podcast, hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to The Body Show. should be available within the next day or so. You can also find us on Facebook. Our engineer is David Chong. Our executive producer, Beth Ann Kozlovich. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We will see you next week when we talk about age-related changes to the teeth. That's going to be Monday at 5, right here on The Body Show.